The priests were mimicking this scene of the water flowing forth from the rock. So daily during this feast day, they would take water and they would pour it down the stairs of the temple. And on the last day of that feast, with people watching this water flow from the stairs of the temple, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water. And of course, he spoke this concerning the Holy Spirit. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, we welcome those who are with us tonight and also those who are listening on WLGS Radio, those who are watching through social media. A blessing to be with you. Tonight we're looking at Exodus 17 and 18. As I said, the title of this comes from the very last, second to the last verse of chapter 17, where it says there, the Lord is my banner And I titled the message Yahweh Nissi, and that is the Hebrew for the Lord is my banner or the Lord is my refuge, as we'll look at tonight. As we've gone through Genesis and now in Exodus, I'd like to pull a key verse out of the passage from each chapter. The key verse for me, you might, I mean, verse 15 would be a perfect key verse. As Moses built an altar and called its name Yahweh Nissi, or the Lord is my banner. But I chose verse 6, which says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So that's the key verse because the Lord is developing a similarity with Christ that is only partially told here in chapter 17. The full story will come later on when Moses is not told to strike the rock, but to speak to the rock to allow the water to flow forth. And so there is this typology of Jesus Christ being orchestrated here in the wilderness wanderings of Israel as they make their way to the promised land. At least that's their intent right now. For this generation, the first generation that came out of Egypt, of the children of Israel, that first generation that came out, we understand as we go through the account of the Exodus that only two people from that generation actually entered into the promised land. And that is Joshua and Caleb. The first generation that came out of Egypt 
wandered around 40 years in that wilderness, ended up dying in the wilderness because of their rebellious heart against the Lord. And we're going to see that continue to build until finally the Lord says, all right, you don't want to go into the promised land? Not a problem. I'll have your children enter into the promised land. And here we see in this chapter some of the complaining that is building and taking place once again, where the people are turning away from God, looking back to Egypt, thinking life was really good in Egypt. And now they find themselves only two months at this point in the wilderness, and the complaints are up and running again. We left them last week. They were at an oasis in the desert where it tells us that there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. But now they left the wilderness of sin, as we pick up in verse 1, down through verse 3. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandments of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So the first thing we need to notice in verse 1, the children of Israel, yes, they left the gorgeous oasis that we learned about last week, the 12 springs of water and the 70 palm trees, but it was there in the wilderness of sin. The thing we need to notice in verse 1 is that they went out according to the commandment of the Lord. God was leading them, and he took them exactly where he wanted them to be. Therefore, when they complained against Moses, their ultimate complaint, which Moses recognized as well, was against God who was leading them. In other words, they were right where God wanted them. Nevertheless, their complaints against God's chosen leader revealed that they were being driven by their flesh, not in obedience to the word of the Lord, who was able to meet their every need. God has already proven this to them over and over again, and he will continue to prove this to them. If they needed to know that the Lord was there, all they had to do was look to the Shekinah glory cloud, fire by night and a cloud by day that was guiding them through the wilderness. All they needed to do was to get up early in the morning and gather the manna that God was now providing for them, which he would provide for them for the next 40 years until they entered into the promised land. God had proved himself with the plagues and how God had separated the children of Israel and the children of Egypt, how he had made distinction between the two, bringing destruction on one nation or one people while saving the other. And yet they complained against God. The psalmist records this as well in Psalm 78, 41 and 42. He says, yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. So I have this 
perhaps a personal understanding of, of this in the sense that the children of Israel had been so long in the bondage of Egypt, they did not know how to conduct themselves as the redeemed of the Lord. Much like today, uh, it's a known fact of certain prisoners who come out of prison. They grow so accustomed to life in prison, a bed to sleep in, even though it's behind bars, three square meals a day, a gym to work out in, perhaps community TV and cards to play. Once they get out, they just don't know how to function outside of the prison house. Some will even commit crimes that they can go back to jail because they find their comfort there. I was thinking about this, and I remember recently hearing of someone who came out of a communist country saying that the first year that I was out of communism and here in America, I had to learn to think for myself, that they didn't even know how to think for themselves. And I think maybe the children of Israel had fell victim to this because they had been controlled. So I was thinking about that comment that I heard, and I just did a, a search on the internet for someone who was born in communism coming to the United States. And this person was writing an article about capitalism, saying that it's the best method today. But I want to pull one paragraph where she described her life in Romania. The name of this woman is Carmen Alex. She was born in communist Romania during the Cold War, and she went on to say, it was a country in which the government owned all the resources and the means of production. The state controlled almost every aspect of our lives, our education, our job placement, the time of day we could have hot water, and what we were allowed to say. Well, just think about some of those things that she spoke about there. Our education, United States, check, they're trying to control that. Our job placement, maybe we're not quite there yet, but I'm sure it's on the list. The time of day we could have hot water. Hey, you got to get off those fossil fuels. Fossil fuels bad. Get your $90,000 electric vehicle. And what we're allowed to say, check. Think about social media and the facts checkers. So similarity, the children of Israel... Although they were God's covenant people, they've been so accustomed to living in bondage, they did not know how to conduct themselves as the redeemed of the Lord. A favorite verse of mine is 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are new. This really reinforces the importance of the redemption that the Lord Jesus Christ offers to those who come to him in life-saving faith. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's one of the issues that I take with recovery ministries, but recovery programs. My son went through what he would call a restoration ministry. He said, we don't call it recovery because we've been restored in Christ. The issue that I have with ministries that call it recovery, often they never allow that person 
to totally be free from the bondage of whatever brought them to recovery, whether they're an alcoholic or a drug addict or pornography, whatever that bondage might be, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You just may not drink anymore. But that doesn't go with 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. The Lord Jesus Christ saves us that we might walk in victory, not in the bondage of our past. The children of Israel are still walking in that bondage of their past. They have not yet claimed the victory available to them. So Moses did a very smart thing. Verse 4, he cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? Poor Moses. He didn't plan for this. He was raised in the Pharaoh's household. Life could have been good for Moses all the days of his life, and yet at some point in Moses' life, he was convicted by the Lord. He knew he was Jewish. He knew he was of the Hebrew tribe, the tribe of Levi. And he knew that the Lord had called him to be the deliverer of the house of Israel. And yet now, as their deliverer, he was receiving their complaints They were ready to stone him, according to verse 4. They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go before the people, verse 5. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand the rod of which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you. And there on the rock in Horeb, you shall strike the rock and the water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did in the sight of all the elders of Israel. So he called the name of that place Massa, or Meribah, because the congregation of the children of Israel had tempted the Lord, saying, the Lord is not among us. So here the Lord said, I'll stand before you. The people were saying, God's not here. And God said, I'll show you that I'm here. And God had Moses do the most unusual thing by to take the rod of God and to strike solid rock to cause water to pour forth. Although Moses felt that God had placed him in an impossible situation, he complained to the right person, God. Sometimes we might get in a bad situation. We might even think that God has placed us in an impossible situation. A couple of other favorite verses of mine in Scripture come from 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, where... Peter tells us, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. When we find that we're in those tough places, first of all, we need to come to the Lord in humility, but also cast our cares upon the Lord, knowing that he cares for us. So the Lord told Moses to do this strange thing by striking the rock with the rod of God in order that water might pour forth, that the people could drink. Now, some estimate, and we get into the book of Numbers, where they count the first and second generation of Israel. So the first generation, all the men from 20 years old and above are counted, those men who were able to go to war. And then they would do another counting at the end of the book of Numbers of the second generation those who had grew up in the wilderness, and both times they came up with a number just over 600,000 men. 
So if you have 600,000 men and 600,000 wives, (laughs) 1.2 million people, I think we in the United States might have 0.7 children per household. I don't know how you do that, but I am pretty sure that they had a lot of kids. So an easy estimate of 2 million plus people drinking water flowing forth from this rock. God not only provided for Israel in their current need, he gave this beautiful typology of Jesus. God said to Moses, I will stand before you. The people had said, the Lord is not among you. God said, I'm standing right here. I'm right here. I will stand before you, which can be seen in the striking of the rock. God had Jesus smitten for our sins, according to Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our grief, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The Bible tells us also that Christ is the rock, 1 Corinthians 10.4, they all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. The Apostle Paul related the striking of the rock, the very rock itself, as Christ Jesus. And in fact, he said, that rock followed them there in the wilderness. That rock was Christ. And also the water symbolizes the gift of the Holy Spirit, which the Lord has offered to all those who believe in his name, as in John 7, 37 and 38, where the author of the Gospel of John says, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as scripture has said, out of the heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now this is significant, this statement, because this feast that Jesus was at here in John chapter 7, and we'll look at it in more detail when we get to it on a Sunday morning. The priests were mimicking this scene of the water flowing forth from the rock. So daily during this feast day, they would take water and they would pour it down the stairs of the temple. And on the last day of that feast, with people watching this water flow from the stairs of the temple, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water. And of course, he spoke this concerning the Holy Spirit. So God gave a great typology that is being developed here. Paul already referring to Jesus being that rock that followed them there in the wilderness. But later on, Moses will be instructed to speak to the rock, not to strike it a second time. And the importance of this is that Jesus has been struck once for our sins. He died once upon the cross. He died, was buried, and rose again. And never again will he have to be struck. When he cried out to Telestai there at the cross, it is finished. The work of our salvation has been paid once and for all. And all we have to do is speak to the rock, Jesus Christ, that we might be saved. 
we get into verses 8 through 16 of Exodus 17, we find that there's a physical war that takes place now. And I titled this section, Supporting Those Who Serve. And the physical war is described to us in verses 8 through 10. Now Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So this is the first introduction of Joshua in Scripture. And he will go on to be Moses' number two guy. He would serve Moses as an assistant. Later on, we'll read of uh, Moses going to the tabernacle of meeting to meet with God. And it would tell us that although Moses would leave the tabernacle of meeting, Joshua stayed at the tabernacle day and night. He was always in the presence of God, not in the tabernacle like Moses, but near. And ultimately, we know that Joshua would be one of the 12 spies, that he and Caleb would be the only two of the 12 that would try to encourage the people to go into the promised land. And of course, Joshua and Caleb were the only two of that generation, of that first generation that came out of Egypt, of the children of Israel. Only Joshua and Caleb were allowed to enter into the promised land. Even Moses didn't get to go. And then, of course, Joshua would become the next leader there in Israel when they entered the promised land. But his introduction here is as a warrior. I would say that the training that they had was zero. They had been slaves in Egypt. Their people had been slaves for 430 years. From the day that they entered in, the Word of God tells us they entered out on that very same day, 430 years later. They had no training in weaponry or war, and perhaps they had fought among one another. We read about that, where two Jewish men were fighting and Moses tried to intercede in their behalf. They had no training in this, but Joshua had the word of God through the prophet of God telling him to gather some men and go and battle Amalek. And then Moses promised, when you go out to the battle, I'll go up to the hill. And so he was obedient to that command. Now, Amalek, actually a descendant of Abraham through Esau's son. And so Jacob and Esau, the two twins that was born to Isaac, now Amalek, a descendant of Esau. And it tells us in Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 18, when Moses is recounting this battle, to the second generation before they went into the promised land. Moses said, Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 18, remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way, attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at the rear. When you were tired and weary, he did not fear God. So the strategy of Amalek to attack the rear ranks. It reminds us 
of the importance of staying near to God, especially in difficult times. Sadly, many who had once attended church on a regular basis, some have never returned to the house of God to worship. Though they were near in the church, in the congregation, they may have better been described as those in the rear rank, those stragglers, those who are tired and weary, and they got snatched away by the enemy. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.